I, I was talking to Dr. Ken Tobin, who, who is, you know, our vice president of research and university partnerships. And he's been with ORU, I think, about 13 months or something like mm-hmm. that. He's never been in the office. <laughs> I mean, right. he, and I, he and I have never met face to face. We talk all the time on the phone, but we've never met personally. Think about how many, you know, the tens of thousands of people that are in that situation. You know, they've taken new jobs and they're, you know, and they're working from home. So they really have not completely assimilated into the organization that this is the, this is all they know about their new organization is this work from home environment. So that's something that is, is I think, remarkable uh, that we have many people going through that experience. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, our impacting and ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Happy Wednesday morning and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Holtz, with my fabulous co-host, Jenna Harpenau. Jenna, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. We were just talking about like day 370 something of working from home and who thought we'd be here? At least it's beginning to be springtime. The sunshine is helping my attitude. Let me tell you. (laughs) We've come full circle. You know, we went home during springtime, but now at least we're able to get out of the house a little bit more when the sun is shining. That's right. And we have people getting vaccinated and Mm -hmm. there appears to be a light at the end of the tunnel. So things are looking up, but the world has changed and we are actually Mm -hmm. here to talk with Jeff Miller who was on the very first episode of further together, the ORU podcast three seasons ago now check it out um crazy jeff welcome back welcome back to further together the ORU podcast thank you thank you michael thank you jenna and uh i want to just recognize that uh you all for doing such a great job three seasons and you've had over four thousand downloads and what was it something like 28 different countries uh, that people are are downloading further that's together crazy. and listening to it. Yeah. So, so that's, that's quite an achievement and uh, a mark, mark of success. So howdy to our listeners in France, Belgium, Iceland, the <laughs> Netherlands, wherever you are. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Um, Jeff, you have a new role since we talked to you um, in the very first episode. So tell us what you're doing for ORU these days. Sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, about uh, let's see, it was uh, September, end of September last year. I assumed the role as senior vice president and director of ORAU government services, uh, and so that was as we uh, reorganized. Uh, we created a uh, division uh, within ORAU that houses uh, our government services contracts, and I lead that that organization. It's about four hundred people strong, uh, and we have. 
uh, uh, separate groups that perform health studies and health sciences, uh, ecology and environment, science and technology and research programs. So great group to work with. Um, and uh, I'm uh, honored to be the leader of that. Awesome. Well, congratulations. I know it's been a while, but congratulations. And it's all the stuff we love to talk about talk about on the podcast. So um, we love having folks from ORU Government Services on the show. Um, we are talking today, um, I handed briefly in the introduction, about how COVID-19 has changed organizational culture. And you recently did a presentation for the Waste Management Symposium. It was virtual, um, but you did a presentation on this topic and thought we might do a little bit of a deeper dive into your thoughts and kind of what the research might be showing on how organizational culture has changed because of the pandemic. So I guess let's start, let's start there with the obvious question. How has organizational culture changed? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it certainly is changing and continues to change. And, and let me just tell the listeners how I got to this topic is over the years, last 10 years or so, I've been involved in a number of evaluations of organizational culture as it relates to safety and security and, and business operations. And, and I've worked on committees related to that and published uh, documents and articles related to that. So I was asked to participate on a panel session at the Waste Management Symposium. Um, and the, the topic that they asked me to speak to was the, uh, the effects of COVID-19 on organizational culture. So I pulled together some, some evidence and, and information related to that. And the, the basic premise of, of my presentation was, is that, that how well our organizations adapt and cope with COVID will impact our organizational culture for five years and perhaps longer. Um, and so, so then some, some evidence, uh, I'll present some evidence as to why I believe that's true, but that was uh, how I got, got to this topic initially. So there's- and Jeff, it, it, and you're not, you know, I know organizations have made adjustments in terms, like we have of working from home and, you know, all of that, but what you're really talking about is coping with kind of the, the stress and the challenges of, the whole thing of, you know, making those adjustments and what's happening out, you know, even outside the workplace, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's no doubt that, that, that the COVID-19 pandemic has, has changed the way we work and, and perhaps forever. I mean, we're having discussions about that at ORAU sure. uh, about, you know, how are we going to work in the future? Are there going to be more people working from home, uh, fewer people working in the offices? What does that mean in terms of facilities and all of those types of things? And, and those have uh, those types of dramatic changes have an impact on organizational culture. Uh, and, and we've got to adapt to that. Um, and we have been adapting to that, but we're not done. There, there's more to come, you know. You know, there's there's a saying that 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 culture is slow to develop and slow to change, except in the presence of a catalytic event. Uh, and I would submit that that we're living and have been living in a catalytic event, you know, for the last year, uh, and we're not done with it yet. So, and, and if you think about it, 
you know, what we've been doing uh, as we've been adapting, it, it really occurs in nature all the time. Uh, but more typically, it's animals adapting their behavior because of human disturbance. So, so Jenna, you mentioned it's springtime. And I noticed that last year, uh, as my wife and I spent more time sitting on the front porch, uh, we would listen to the birds and how they had increased their singing patterns because there was a lot less human traffic and human-produced noise mm -hmm. than, than there was before. Yeah, and I noticed that, that this weekend, that the, the birds are out and, and singing in volume again. But, but really what we've been doing as organizations is, is kind of a role reversal. It's, it's humans, we're adapting our behavior to a, a viral disturbance in this case. So, uh, and, and if, if you think about the, the industries that have been dramatically uh, impacted by this, I, I think about the ones that have really suffered and contracted during the pandemic, the airlines and hotels and restaurants, the performing arts. Um, and then, then just think about in contrast to that, those industries that have grown dramatically because of the pandemic, uh, you know, video conferencing, uh, online grocery shopping and home remodeling and virtual medicine, all of those types of things. So, so every organization has, has kind of, has had to adapt in one fashion or another. Uh, but all of those organizations that I just listed have really been under extraordinary economic stress, you know, some in a, in a negative way and some in a positive way. But um, this made me think that really you know, kind of gets back to my industrial hygiene background is that it's very similar uh, when you think about organizational stress is similar to a, a common ventilation uh, equation. And that is total pressure equals static pressure plus velocity pressure. Now, if you just convert that to stress, uh, I think that the total organizational stress is equal to the workforce stress plus economic stress. So in other words, what's the stress that your workforce, the individual people are experiencing, and you add that to the economic stress that your entire organization is experiencing. So, so that's why you know, this is an important topic because we really have to understand the total stress that our organizations are experiencing uh, and then adapt uh, in order to survive that. Now, how do you collect your data? I think people would be interested to know, um, you know, how you go about collecting data on um, from the workforce and, and, you know, being able to then look at that data and kind of make determinations. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Jenna. And, and so really there are um, several different ways to collect data. And, and I have to say that sometimes we collect our own data. So we collect it internally. I mean, we do surveys and things like that within ORU, but we also do that for other organizations. But I also will collect data from the literature. So I'll look at polls that are being conducted and surveys that are being conducted by other, other folks, and we'll get information from that. But to your point, typically the way data is collected uh, classically is kind of four ways. Um, and, and one way is are conducting surveys. So those are basically questionnaires where items are developed or questions are developed and you survey a population or a sample of a population and you get feedback directly from them. 
And those can be open-ended questions where it's kind of give us your thoughts and feelings, or it can be ratings and scales where people will rate from, you know, very good to, you know, very poor and everything in between. So you can use surveys to collect both quantitative numeric data as well as qualitative and qualitative data being kind of the words, the text that surrounds that. So that's, that's one key method. Uh, another method is through focus groups. And those are typically facilitated by a trained uh, focus group facilitator. Uh, and most often you would seek to have six to 10 people in a focus group, small group discussions that are kind of structured. So you have kind of some questions that you wanna ask and you let people just talk about their experiences. So focus groups are a second way. A third way is through in-depth interviews. So I might have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with someone for maybe up to an hour, or sometimes it's a, it's a series of interviews with people. And so you really get a, a lot of rich, detailed information from people that then you can analyze that. And then the fourth way is through observation, where you, if you're evaluating a workplace, you would actually go out into the workplace and observe people at work and see how they're behaving and, and the work that they're doing. Now, in the COVID environment, there's been a lot less of the observation. Uh, and it's even a challenge now to do focus groups. Uh, we're, we're starting to do focus groups virtually. Um, and that's been, uh, one of the ways that we've adapted. But the, those four kind of those four sources of data, um, you collect all of that and then you, you take information from all of that. We call it triangulation. So you look at what the survey says and what the interviews say and what the focus groups say and are that all pointing to the same thing, uh, which would be called convergence. So they all converge into a similar theme or pattern or are they divergent or, or does a survey say one thing, but then we're hearing something different in the focus groups. And so you have to kind of sort that all out to understand it. So that, that's how we collect the data um, for these types of evaluations. And what are you seeing um, in the data that you have and that you have access to um, in terms of how people are reacting? And yeah, so... so um, so, so there's no doubt that, that the workforce is in distress um, and has been for a year. I mean, we can all personally relate to that to one degree or another. Um, and, and what we're seeing is that, um, that the organizations that are more successful um, have had, a, a, they're more resilient than have had a better ability to cope with the distress caused by COVID. Um, and what we're also seeing is, is that those organizations that are experiencing success, that management is, is, is willing uh, and has the ability to, to help the workforce cope with the distress. Um, and and I, I, I've made this comment, and I, I think this will be very true and time will tell, but um, our workforces will remember for years to come um, how they were treated during the COVID pandemic. You know, and that may be a positive experience or it may be a negative experience, but but they will remember. And um, and I know that as I've talked to, uh, we, we've surveyed, gosh, almost 40,000 people in the last few years. And it is quite common for people to bring up events that occurred sometimes 5, 10, 15 years ago. And people will talk about that like it happened yesterday. 
Uh, and so people have very long memories about both positive and negative events that, that impact them in the workplace. And so that's why I get back to my early premise that, you know, how we respond to COVID is going to impact our organizational cultures for at least five years. It's because of that, because people have long memories and they will remember the COVID pandemic for a long period of time. I also wonder the the work the new workforce you know those that are coming in to the workforce brand new in this past year how COVID nineteen is going to shape their expectations of what the workforce should look like for them you know if this is all they've ever known their expectations will be very different from those of us that have been you know in the workforce for 10 20 30 years so do you think that that's going to have a big impact as well with you know setting expectations moving forward i do and and that's a really good observation jenna i think about two things related to that i think about people that have started jobs during the pandemic period I mean, I was talking to Dr. Ken Tobin, who is, you know, our vice president of research and university partnerships. And he's been with ORU, I think, about 13 months or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's never been in the office. (laughs) He and I I have never met face to face. We talk all the time on the phone, but we've never met personally. Think about how many, you know, the tens of thousands of people that are in that situation. You know, they've taken new jobs and they're you know, and they're working from home. So they really have not completely assimilated into the organization that this is the, this is all they know about their new organization is this work from home environment. So that's something that is, is I think remarkable uh, that we have many people going through that experience. The, the other thing is, uh, is, is that, you know, the, the, the work from home model, that many organizations rely on um, is really going to change the dynamics of, of how we work in the future. Uh, and we're going through that at ORU right now, trying to figure out what is kind of the, um, what is the, um, the next normal going to look like in terms of the, the workplace. Um, and there's actually, um, you know, there's, and I've, I've looked at some of the data and, and it varies depending on organization. So first of all, a manufacturing site um, or a construction site is very different from uh, an environment like ORU. You know, where we're kind of knowledge workers and it's easy for us to go work from home. I mean, we, we've had 85% plus of, the, of our organization has been working from home for the last year. You know, if you're in the construction industry or you run a laboratory, you don't have that option. You've got to bring people back in. So it's different depending on the organization. But the, um, the, the, the information and the literature that I've seen shows that it, it roughly kind of divides into thirds that uh, the population post pandemic uh, would prefer, probably about one third would prefer to go back to the office full time. Okay. About uh, another third want to work from home full time, and the middle third wants some type of a hybrid model. You know, so um, that that's kind of the way it's it's shaking out, um, and it it varies depending on the organization, obviously. But I think what uh, senior leaders are seeing, and what we're trying to do right now is we're trying to dial in what is exactly that that distribution. 
for, for each organization because that has a lot of impacts uh, on the organization and organizational culture. Um, you know, from an organizational standpoint, if you suddenly have a third of your workforce that's never coming into the office and not and they're not coming back, well, you probably don't need as much office space as you once had. So you have to dial that in and out depending on what your needs are. So, um, and then you also then from a cultural standpoint, if that's going to be the permanent situation, how do you avoid creating a culture where, okay, here's the people that are in the office and they have a different set of opportunities because they're, they're seen and heard and they have a chance to congregate um, and have sidebar discussions that people that never come in the office aren't privy to. So you, you don't want to inadvertently create um, separate cultures, you know, uh, subcultures within your organization. So you're going to have to navigate that as well. So, so those are just a couple of the things that, that I see um, uh, related to your question, Jenna. Are, are those the idea of subcultures and are there recommendations for avoiding that? Or is that given that we are sort of all in that space, is that sort of like we're building the plane while we're flying it at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> well, it does very much feel like we're building the plane while we're flying it sometimes. So, so that, that's true. But, you know, in terms of subcultures, um, most organizations uh, have subcultures anyway, and they, they've always had them. Um, and it's just a matter of things have changed a little bit and we've had to adapt. And perhaps we are creating some new subcultures that didn't exist before. Um, but it, it's very common, especially the bigger the organization, um, for there to be subcultures. It, it, they could be geographically related. So you might have an office in one city that is different from the city or from an office in another city somewhere else in the in, the, in a different state or perhaps in a different country. So there's that. Sometimes you have uh, subcultures just related to uh, function and, and technical work. You know, you might have, like within ORAU, you know, we have, you know, the uh, health physicists, let's say, you know, and you have uh, groups of health physicists that work together and they're different from the people that do STEM for workforce development. They have different technical background, different experiences, different customers. So they, they tend to evolve into their own subculture. So that's, um, it's, that's not a bad thing. Um, right. okay. So subcultures are okay. You just have to recognize that they exist. And usually as leaders, what we try to do is try to build some cohesiveness between the different subcultures. So you, and you do that around kind of a bigger mission so that people understand there's, there's a bigger mission that we're all working toward and we can still have our subcultures underneath, but ultimately we all have to roll up uh, under this one mission and subscribe to that. Given all of the stresses and the, um, everything the world is going through that sort of reverberates back to the workplace. Are there recommendations um, at this point for how to be resilient, um, how to cope with and manage all of the organizational change? There are, and it's, and some of it gets back to, um, you know, what's commonly referred to as health stress and coping theory. Um, and that, that's something I did some research on a few years back. Um, 
And, and if you go to actually to my LinkedIn homepage, I, I posted an article where I have a, a, a description of health stress and coping theory and what that all amounts to. And so if you just think about the, the stress side of that equation for a while, um, what we know is that after prolonged exposure and adaptation to, st- uh, to, to stress, that humans enter the stage of exhaustion. Uh, and I think we can all relate to that. Uh, you know, we've all been feeling perhaps a little bit of exhaustion or maybe even a lot of exhaustion uh, related to the pandemic. So, but, what, but the impact of that long-term exposure to stress and that state of exhaustion is, is that, that humans, after, uh, uh, after enduring a life under prolonged stress like that, there is premature aging that's due to wear and tear. So this does have an impact. It's real and is physical uh, and biological that, uh, you know, the the exhaustion that we're feeling um, that uh, it is uh, taking a toll on us. But so that's the kind of the stress part of it. But but then there's another concept uh, and that is, is that not all stress is bad. There's there's Mm -hmm. distress, bad stress and eustress or good stress um, and eustress is, uh, if you think about it in terms of exercise, so what do you do when you go to the gym or when you go out for a run is you're, you're really trying to build strength or cardiovascular capacity. And so we do this, we stress our musculoskeletal system, our cardiovascular system. But the result of that is, is that that, that periodic stress actually helps us get more fit and ultimately, hopefully, helps us live longer. So that's a good kind of stress. So that's you stress. So just recognize that there's there's two types of stress. Then the the, the kind of the third concept related to that is, is coping. Uh, and so coping is about the strategies that a person uh, employs to help deal with the stress. So you've all heard, you know, kind of like, you know, um, so if you discover that my life or my health or my health or my social relationships are in danger, you know, that's our response to stress and coping strategies can be healthy or they can be unhealthy. And, and if you think about the way we cope with stress as individuals, some people might drink alcohol or smoke tobacco or eat excessively when they're under stress. And other people might have other behaviors that are more healthy. Perhaps they exercise when they're under stress, or maybe they spend time out in the garden or, or something that doesn't have that negative impact. So that's that's really the, the coping side of that. Um, and then the, the final point related to this is just that, that, that stress affects people differently. Um, and, and when we're under stress, and depending on how well we're able to cope with that stress, it's going to influence our decision-making. Now, these may be decisions that we're making about, you know, uh, medical care, um, so our social support, uh, or, you know, whether we want to believe the advice that professionals are giving to us. But it also, the stress can also impact decisions that we make while we're on the job. So people under distress um, may make different decisions than pe- people that are coping with that distress uh, and have a more even keel. 
So that's kind of how health stress and coping fits into all of this uh, pandemic um, phenomenon that we're experiencing. Gotcha. Um, not to put you on the spot because you're a senior vice president and all, but how are we doing <laughs> as an organization? I, I, yeah, I I, <laughs> I I can say uh, with with absolute honesty, uh, but recognizing that I am biased, I, I think we're doing a fantastic job. Um, I think Andy Page has done a really fantastic job of of being uh, open and honest and transparent with the workforce. Uh, we have ramped up our communication, and you all have a big part to do with that you know, where we have routine communication with the workforce. Uh, that, and that's one of the things that we've really been missing is we don't have that day-to-day -day interaction, uh, that personal interaction. You don't, you know, bump into people in the hallway or in a meeting and have sidebar conversations. And somehow you have to find a, a way to replace that, that, right. that human interaction. And, and we've done some things, um, you know, such as the webinars that you all are, are helping um, to uh, to develop as well as the the take three that Jenna mm -hmm. you you host uh, every Wednesday morning where mm -hmm. you know we have hundred we have hundreds of people that listen to that and it's just really short snippets of information and it kind of takes the place of some of that water cooler talk so mm -hmm. so those are things that we're doing um, as an organization I think that are helping us cope um, as an organization but I think it also helps individuals. Uh, cope with with the stress of the pandemic. I think Uri, you also maybe had a little bit of an advantage. You know, you talk to people that have worked here a, a long time, and there's really that family atmosphere that we have. And so I think that going into um, working from home and you know the pandemic over the past year, people have taking care of their family and checked in on one another and made it a point to keep communication open, you know, between coworkers, even if you don't work in the same program. And so I feel like we kind of had a leg up in the fact that our culture was already, you know, a little more caring and, and more uh, focused on, on one another. So I, I think that's helped out a lot as well as we've gone through, you know, kind of being isolated over the past year. Yeah, I, I think that's true. If, if you look at the, the makeup of our workforce, I mean, we are an organization that has a lot of educators. Uh, we have a lot of uh, health science professionals, people that are in kind of the, the caring and giving and nurturing professions. Um, and we tend to treat each other that way. So that, that gives us a leg up. Um, and, and just that we, by nature, recruit people that, that have those tendencies. In, in contrast, you know, I, you know, have friends that work in some other organizations that have experienced the opposite of that. And, the, some, you know, some have experienced multiple suicides, um, not just of, of workers, but of, of family members and really just devastating uh, events like that. And we've been fortunate in that we have not had that um, occur in ORU, but that just, uh, I think is an example of when an organization, when individuals and an organization are are really distressed, those are kind of the the worst possible outcomes that you can think of. And I, I'm just thankful that 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 we're not in that position. I was looking at the presentation that you gave, and you talk about um, 
the effect of COVID on mental health in the U.S. and just kind of, you know, um, all of the acute stress and depressive symptoms, which you talked about a little bit, pre-existing mental health and physical health diagnoses. Um, but I was interested in exposure to pandemic-related media coverage because it's been nonstop, right, for <laughs> yeah. months, if not longer. Um, and it's sort of like watching any other, you know, tragic event. You know, if you if you stay steeped in it too long, you're going to get overwhelmed by it, and it's been hard to avoid. I it had, and that was, uh, and what you're referring to, Michael, was a study that was done by uh, Holman and a group of other folks, where they looked at the effect of COVID on mental health in the U.S. Uh, and, and so, really, what they found that. Uh, were a, a few key things is that that as the number of cases and deaths were increasing in the U.S., that um, that acute stress and depressive symptoms increased uh, commensurately. So that's probably not too surprising. You know, as cases were increasing and pe- more people were dying, that increased the stress and depression. Um, that, but they also found that people that had pre-existing mental and physical uh, health diagnoses were more likely uh, to exhibit acute stress and depression. So, uh, and then another factor that was associated with that is if you lost your job or you had reduced wages or you had shortages of necessities. And I think about, you know, the housing problem, but those were also strong predictors of acute stress and depression. So, and then that, that the last one is what you mentioned, Michael, that it, exposure to pandemic related media coverage was associated with more acute stress and depression. So, but not just exposure, but the more the, the more hours of pandemic-related media exposure you had, then the more likely you were to experience acute stress and depression. So, so there was a positive correlation: is the more the more the, the greater the number of hours that you spent uh, watching or listening to or reading pandemic-related media coverage, the more likely you were to uh, have stress and depression. Turn so, off the TV and the radio. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, I, I unplugged from Facebook <laughs> about, uh, gosh, uh, no, October, November of last year and haven't been back on since um, just to try and regulate that. Sure, sure. That makes perfect sense. Um, Jeff, is there anything we haven't asked you about that you haven't talked about that we want to make sure we we get in? Um, I, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are many things that uh, that you haven't asked me that, that you could have. But, you know, as I look at, you know, the, the, the whole topic that was we've talked about today, and the approach that that I've taken to this is that um, we just have to recognize and and embrace the fact that our workforce is in distress. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it has been for the last year. It's not going to go away uh, tomorrow. Uh, We're going to feel the impacts of this, uh, of the pandemic for some time to come. Um, And then this is just part of the, the, of the total organizational stress that we have to address. And that is, as you recall back, I, I 
uh, feel that that is the the personal stress that individuals are under, but also the economic stress that an organization is under. So that's the the total organizational stress, um, and how how well we're able to to cope with that. Um, is really going to shape our organizational culture for years to come. Um, and so that's, um, I think that's the challenge for all of us. And those of us that are in, in leadership positions, I think it takes uh, extra sensitivity uh, and recognition of the, the stress that individuals are experiencing. And, and you know, just just cut people some slack. You know, sometimes, you know, as if people are making bad decisions, well, think about the stress that they might be under and what may have impacted that, you know? So um, I think we just have to have a, a heightened sensitivity to the stress that we're experiencing as individuals and as an organization. And for individuals, maybe access your EAP services if you need them and you yeah, know, other, the, other ways of coping. Yeah, there are a number of things that, that organizations can do to help people uh, with uh, with coping. You know, uh, employee assistance programs or an example of that. Uh, you may have um, uh, occupational health providers in your organization. Um, you know, the insurance benefits that we have, things like that. So, you know, that those types of programs that you have to make sure that people remember that those are available and encourage people to take advantage of those. Okay. Jeff, thank you so much for your time yeah, today talking you. about a very important issue that we are all dealing with and will continue to deal with, as you say, for years to come. Thank you. I appreciate it. And and let's uh, the next time I come on further together, let's hope we're on the the we're looking at COVID in the rearview mirror and, uh, <laughs> uh, and we, we can talk about other topics. Thank you, Michael. Amen Thank to you, that. And we're, maybe we're doing it around a coffee table with coffee in hand together. That, that would be nice <laughs> instead of Zooming. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, sir. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.